0: Welcome to this edition of Hubbard Hall's Seen and Solved podcast. I'm Tim Pennington, editor of finishingencoding.com. And today we're talking with Connor Calais, technical application specialist at Hubbard Hall. Our topic today will be paint stripping. This is Seen and Solved with host Tim Pennington, brought to you by Hubbard Hall. Better results, less chemistry. I've seen Connor gives some presentations in the past. He's very good at it, and he's going to be telling us all of that we need to know about the paint stripping process, which process you want to pick, and any other advice that he has. Connor, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tim. How are you? Doing splendid. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know, like I said, I, I think I, last time I heard you speak was in South Carolina. You gave one of the better presentations. I loved it. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, all all that you do at Hubbard Hall, and even your path to the company.
1: Sure. So I've um, been with Hubbard Hall and also been working in this industry for coming on three years now. Um, I was in undergraduate school at a small school in South Carolina, and I studied chemistry and math there. And originally, I was going to go to med school, decided that I didn't want to deal with all that and all the debt for several years. So I had decided to um, pursue a PhD program. I started, uh, working with a nanocomposite polymer lab in, at the university of South Carolina and did that for about a year and realized that I really didn't want to continue that path. So I was looking for a, an easy out or an easy escape so that I could get to work and not have to be in school anymore. So I kind of just stumbled on, um, a opening at Hubbard hall and, um, met with, uh, the team here and um, went through the interview process and was lucky enough to get a job with them back in probably summer of 2019. And from there, I've been working with our technical department, um, which kind of bridges both the development and the application side of our product lines. And I work with the sales and our customers and prospects to integrate these products and find solutions that benefit their applications. Right. You know, you can always go back to med school if you wanted to. You do. I that.
0: Could. You don't have to wolf. pay for it anymore. You, you don't have to worry about those loans. They're gonna take care of those. But anyway, but uh, but no, what college was it in South Carolina? I'm curious.
1: Um, small school called Wofford College.
0: Well, that's not a small school. I hear about it. Yeah. I know a friend who plays basketball there. There you go. Oh, very nice. All right, yeah, there you go. But um, so like I said, you've been with Harvard Hall for how many years now? Three. Three years. Okay. Yep. Just curious, what percentage of the time, uh, you know, I well, I guess you got hired right before the uh pandemic. So that kind of put a dent into the travel. But how much are you on the road now and, and yeah. in shops and seeing things?
1: So um, we had a little slowdown once COVID kind of took us all in. But um, probably after about six months or so, we started getting back on the road, working with customers. i um, definitely been utilizing online platforms a lot, as is everybody. Um, but I'd say things have been picking up pretty rapidly as of late. And Probably 40 to 50% of my time I'm out in the field working with customers or trying to help troubleshoot or solve problems and the like. Right.
0: You know, it's funny. You can learn these things in college, like I said, chemistry and all these other things. But I guess to get into a facility, see how the things are running, and then actually using that application, right? I mean, seeing it in real life, uh, how things are done, how they're made, how they're manufactured. That had to be, I guess, pretty interesting to, to merge the, you know, what you learn in the classroom into what's happening in the real uh, manufacturing sector.
1: Absolutely. It's like one big, long episode of how it's made. You really get to see <laughs> all right. sorts of right different applications and how it's very interesting how many steps and touch points, just the simplest little thing goes through before it hits the market.
0: Right. Right. And one one deviation can cause all the problems in the world, right? I mean, that's absolutely. what I'm saying with that. So finishing a coding industry, we're all talking about putting coatings on, uh, getting it finished, but you, are specializing in getting coatings off, right? I mean, there is a need for that. Tell us what really, why facilities, shops, why do they need to get rid of paint? Why do they need to strip parts? Sure.
1: So one of the, I'd say the primary cases we see that people have to remove um, paint or other similar organic coatings would be for the racks. I mean, as um, racks and different masking materials are, run through a paint line with parts, they slowly accumulate a really large buildup of um, paint that has to be removed or removed from some sort of mechanism or it's just going to be rendered useless. Um, reclaiming those is um, both very cost effective because they need to not have to just buy new racks or maskings over and over again, but it's also a, an efficiency saver in the actual process. Because if you don't have racks, you can't paint parts. If you can't mask the materials, you can't paint the parts. So having those readily available um, in a clean and effective manner is really important to maintaining the efficiency of all these different painting applications. Right. Because we're talking
0: uh, grounding, right? I mean, you've got to have the proper ground. The the current has to be going through the racks, correct, Mm -hmm. to to get to the parts. And I see that a lot where um, the biggest problems or errors is that shops are not properly cleaning and stripping their their, their yep. components, correct? Is that what it is? It-
1: yeah, absolutely. And then I'll tell you another um, aspect of paint stripping that really is a value add for many people is um, just part reclamation. If you have a paint defect on a part that won't meet quality standards, well, rather than in- scrapping that entire piece, you often can remove that painted coating that was applied and then sometimes there may be a couple steps in between that have to go before that part can be repainted, but you're saving on all those steps that have gone into that part prior to and not having to reinvent that also.
0: Right. Right. You know, I once saw a picture, I, I think it was a, a, a someone showing a part that had, that needed stripping and it must've had 72 layers of paint on it. I mean, it, it's such an obvious thing sometimes, but I guess a lot of facilities uh, why they don't pay a lot of attention to it. It is it isn't really a value added service to it. it. It's it's maintenance, right? It's it right. really is is going in and making sure that you've got uh the paint stripped off so that you got proper ground. And and I guess a lot of them don't understand that, you know, even even a you know minuscule amount of paint or coating on a part or a, a rack will diminish the amount of uh, current, uh which will sure. then uh, it, it result in a flaw,
1: correct? It'll, it Absolutely. In type
0: of flaw in, in the
1: coating. And even outside of e-coating, even if you're just doing a spray powdered paint, after you build up so much paint on those racks, they begin to not really hold on to the part as well. I mean, you have this, if you have a very thin metal fixture that you're hanging your part onto or putting it on a rack, if you build up a certain amount of paint, it's not going to have the same uh, ability to hold on to that paint in the process, especially if it's being sprayed with a powder coat or something, something similar. Right. Well, aside from stripping, what else do they
0: do? What else can they do? I, I guess they could just throw away the racks and get new racks, which is so expensive to do. Uh, yeah. And even the masking parts, right? I mean, that's that's the alternative to actually mm-hmm. stripping the thing. Or is there more? Right.
1: So, um, oftentimes people will they'll run a rack or a masking as many times as they can effectively get out of it before it starts to. Kind of diminish the quality of the coating on the part that you're working with, um, and once you kind of reach that point, there's two main methods that are kind of used today. Um, you can use either a burn-off oven, which heats them up to the parts and everything, all the coatings on, side, on it heats it up to several hundred degrees, and essentially just burns off any of the organic coating that was on the rack. Um, another option that's sometimes used as using like a fluidized sand bed or have a molten salt bath or sand bath that racks are dipped down into, and it similarly just annihilates the coating off of it. Right. So, you
0: know, fuel costs are so expensive. The heaters for the for the ovens, that almost rules itself out. Plus, you've got a lot of air quality issues, that you have to have scrubbers and things like that in that. So, so I guess you know, I'll ask this question. I think I've answered a little bit, but but why is, is paint stripping the best route to take with that? I guess it is the most
1: effective. Sure. So you touched on a great point. The energy costs of running any of those um, burn-off ovens or sand baths, um, they do nine times a ten have to use uh, a natural gas or some sort of combustible source for the heat. With paint stripping, you can use um, gas heaters, but you also have the option to run electric heaters or use steam generated heat, which gives you a dramatic energy savings because the temperatures at which paint stripping occurs are never over 200 degrees. So you really just have the solution that you're warming up somewhere between 140 to 200 degrees, depending on what you're stripping and what sort of application you're trying to run. And you have multiple cost effective methods that you can use to heat that source.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So talk a little bit about the difference between organic and acidic uh, Mm -hmm. uh, applications and which do you think is the better
1: one? Sure. So traditionally paint stripping, which kind of gives to some of its negative connotation, used to be done with um, methylene chloride or DCM, which is a very common solvent that was used with somewhat uh, relative frequency in the eighties and nineties, but then uh, kind of started to learn more about the negative health impacts of using that chemistry. So it really kind of ran out of fashion as a method to strip. So organic paint strippers today are much more safer and user-friendly. They have really high boiling points, so they aren't evaporating into the air while you're using them just a very miscible amount gets actually released into the environment. Um, that's kind of where paint stripping started to regenerate its use and effectiveness in the industry. Um, we use a variety of different solvents combined together to remove the paint. Um, organic strippers are often used in applications where you have multiple metal substrates that you're having to strip because the solvents have, they're effectively inert with the uh, all sorts of different um, mm-hmm. metal substrates, but also they, can they work by delaminating the paint off of the surface. So we'll talk a little bit more about other mechanisms later, but delamination is essentially where the paint goes through swelling and the solvents are able to get between the paint and the substrate and lift it from its surface. And you typically see these these parts strip or racks strip in a sense where the paint kind of peels off the sheets. Or if you have multiple layers, the paint kind of peels off layer by layer and it sort of swells, and then you can filter out those solids from your stripping solution. Um, When we talk about acidic, so we really kind of classify it with organic strippers and aqueous strippers. So the aqueous strippers would kind of encompass both of our our acidic ones and our caustic-based strippers as well. Acidic strippers are really effective with cleaning um, materials such as aluminum, where you couldn't use something with a high pH on aluminum or otherwise it would destroy the part. With acidic strippers, we're able to remove a variety of coatings and off of most non-ferrous metals, um, including CARP coatings, which are chemical resistant coatings that are often right. used in military applications and sometimes in marine applications. Those coatings are very difficult to remove from parts right. because they are chemically resistant. You're chemical but, resistant. There you <laughs> go. That's in the name. There you go. So. Exactly. Right. So we use... Um, In our acidic strippers, we use an alkyl sulfonic acid base. So it's not a mineral acid, not a super strong aggressive acid. So it's not going to necessarily attack the metal, but it does work in softening up that paint, getting it to swell and helping aid the delamination off of the material that you're using. Um, We use acidic strippers quite frequently in applications that have those cart coatings that they have to remove from different military equipment whenever they go to refurbish or remanufacture those and um, we see that as a very effective method for removing the those type of critiques
0: so and i'm seeing more uh shops that are actually uh, uh, the masking they're 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 trying you know masking is, is expensive and it's, it's it's lately it's been hard to get i mean you know yep. get, you know and so reusing that is is just a a, a money saver uh, for them. So, I mean, are you seeing more and more of them, you know, try to, you know, uh, strip their masks and, and get as much out of them? Some of them, I've heard them say they can get up to six to seven times more use out of those Absolutely. masks. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, we, um case that we've kind of seen and solved over the past few years is um we work with a um, a metal finishing shop that they have several different types of maskings that they, Used with great frequency, I mean, these maskings on a single part will sometimes run two or three times a day, four to five days a week. And being able to continue to reuse those maskings and not have to deal with reordering new ones or degrading the material that the maskings are made of, is really important for them to be able to maintain that level of production and also kind of minimize their operational costs. So we use um, an acidic product, Oxstrip ACB, and they run it at probably around 140 to 150 degrees and they can just put their maskings in a barrel and tumble them in that solution for 15, 20 minutes and the masking materials come out good as new. Um, one question people often have when they're looking at stripping maskings is, is this chemistry going to affect the integrity of that masking itself? Especially when right. you have right. super critical components that you can't have little bits of silicon kind of coming off and right. placing out of the part. and being silicon at these relatively lower temperatures, they're able to withstand that several times over. We can often see people able to get 10 uses, at, 10 stripping uses out of a single masking.
0: Right. And like you said, they're, they're, they I know I'm talking to a lot of shops, you know, to get masking, it takes a long time. I mean, it, it, not much of it, I hate to say it, not much of it is made here in the continental US, it's overseas. And so it's just a
1: supply chain issue. So they're all built to spec too. It's not, you can just get an off the shelf masking. It has to be made specifically for the part that you're going to process. That just adds a whole another step in that lead time as well.
0: Okay. So you talk about organic, you talk about acidic. Uh, Give us a little insight into the uh, caustic solutions that are out there for that.
1: Sure. So um, caustic paint strippers are really kind of taking off, especially with the rack stripping of steel racks, and even steel components as well. Um, Compared to organic strippers, particularly the cost of the chemistry is significantly less. So you have a much lower regular operational cost with using those processes. But um, they're very much, I would kind of classify them as a workhorse product. You can have um, steel components that have many, many layers of paint that are on them and you can heat those solutions well up to 190 or 200 degrees and they really can work to really destroy any of that coating in a pretty timely manner. Um, When we say a caustic stripper where you have a base builder of sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide, and then you also have the organic additives that are kind of added in. So it kind of works as more of a biphasic solution. So you have that aqueous component with a, a smaller organic component, and those kind of work together in unison to really not delaminate the paint that you're trying to remove, but really dissolve it. It breaks the bonds between the individual paint molecules, typically a polyester or an epoxy based uh, paint type. Those are going to be nine times out of 10, we're going to use a caustic product for that process. And um, kind of, we touched on it a little bit before, but you really want to make sure you have that impingement and overall agitation of the bath itself because it will split out into your or or your aqueous and your organic layer so being able to make sure that solution is well mixed really is going to render you some effective results
0: right so you mentioned uh with the delamination i mean uh, you know and i've you know in simplistic terms i've you know stripped furniture and doors and you know the more it's on there the harder it is to get off so what would what do you recommend i mean is there a cycle time of how many coatings Uh, Is on a rack or or anything like that that they should be really pulling it and uh, uh, and and getting it stripped off or because I guess the more the more coatings the harder it is to get it right down to the bare metal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the actual strip time will take for say one application or one layer of paint to be removed does have some variability. It kind of depends on the porosity or the structure of the the surface structure of the substrate that you're stripping off of, and then also what sort of coating and that particular coating respect to thickness how thick that coating is on the part. But generally we're able to strip um, coatings in about, I wanna say maybe 10 to 20 minutes per layer is our average or standard. Mm. Sometimes we can get them stripped quicker. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Um, And then we really sort of see that kind of, that strip rate tends to be relatively linear with the number of coatings that you apply. So if you have um, a part that takes, let's say 15 minutes for a single layer to strip, well, if you have 20 layers on there you're looking at 300 minutes or close to five hours to strip and it really kind of continues on that linear rate for stripping
0: right right you know as we were talking i mean you know again stripping is a maintenance issue uh it, it, it but but it's a it's a money-saving issue and they can have, they don't think a lot of shops actually realize doing it properly can really put money back in their pockets with that but um uh, so you know, I've seen a lot of facilities where they have a very good paint stripping operation. They've got it set up, they pay attention and then some who don't. So, you know, what what advice would you give or what have you seen about if, how to set up a really good and maintain a really good paint stripping operation?
1: So um, I'll kind of answer it in this regard. When we see issues with paint stripping, it nine times out of 10 is not the product. That's the problem. We either have an issue with dwell time, which is a simple fix, just leave it in there a little bit longer, or we have an issue with agitation. Agitation is just as important as the product that you're putting in there and the temperature that you're running at. If you don't have that agitation in the stripping solution, you're not able to remove those coatings. You'll be able to swell them and degrade them to an extent, but if you don't have the impingement of solution kind of rushing in and hitting that part, you're not going to be able to remove those coatings effectively. Um, we typically will run agitation with a system called an induction system, whereby you're removing solution from the tank, it's being pumped through a high pressure filter, and then it is sprayed out of nozzles back into that solution underwater, so or under the liquid layer, so it's not spraying outside of the tank, but it's spraying that solution directly into the part that you're stripping. And that usually occurs at about 40 to 50 PSI. And that impingement action is what really does the the lifting work of removing those coatings from the part. So kind of circling back, we have, I said we had the two main mechanisms that a uh, paint's gonna be stripped, it's gonna be delamination or dissolution. Dissolution kind of occurs more with caustic paint strippers, but once you kind of break down that bond either between the paint molecules themselves or the adherence of a paint layer to the substrate, that's kind of your first stage, either the delamination or the dissolution, and then it comes to the physical removal, and that's where those adductors come in. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. Yeah, I guess with any operation, uh, especially with, you know, any chemistry, any other type of operation, there are you know, some safety protocols to, to follow. I mean, what are some that, you know, and, and, and even there's, you know, regulations, right? Uh, what are some regulations that that shops really need to follow to make sure that it's safe, uh, for their, for their, uh, employees and also, you know, for the parts as well.
1: Sure. So when it comes to using the paint strippers, I mean, as with any wet application, you're going to be, um, using in the field or in the industry, you're gonna wanna make sure you're using your proper PPE. I mean, this is a heated solution of chemistry. So you're gonna make sure that um, you're wearing your eye protection and any respective gloves or aprons that your operators may need to use. Um, And you also wanna make sure that everyone's thoroughly trained on what exactly they're dealing with. If you're dealing with an acidic solution, you are heating up acid and you wanna make sure that you're minimizing any potential for contact between the operator and that solution. And then similarly, you're gonna wanna make sure that wherever you're performing this application that you're able to adhere to the appropriate discharge regulations. So we're really not having to dump this material often. Um, If it's a well-maintained bath, the solution itself should theoretically never have to be completely disposed of. So you're never having to dump a full bath to wastewater treatment, but you are going to have some of that residual solution that is brought up from the part or the rack into your rinse area. And you wanna make sure that you appropriately uh, treat that rinse water. Right, right.
0: So, you know, wrapping this up is is a couple takeaways. You've you've talked a lot about what you've seen uh, and and some of the solutions to solve part of it. Let's just recap real quick. I mean, uh, things that finishers and coders should uh, always keep in mind. Uh, with these operations, so one is that, you know, kind of borrowing a phrase from Nike, just do it. They need to be able to do this and have it consistently done. Correct. They need to have it done on a routine maintenance basis.
1: Right. And you really see the most success when they don't treat this sort of application as an afterthought or something they just have to do occasionally. If they're right. if it's an application where they take the time and the resources to maintain this bath maintain the operation and the use and the bath life they really can get a considerable um, return on that investment itself
0: right, right. We, we, you know we talked about there's the organic there's the acidic and and, and the, the the pros and cons of both of that but really i think some of the bigger takeaways what you were mentioning was uh, you know maintaining having a really good set stripping operation uh, have protocols have procedures make sure everybody knows about it but but that's got to be kind of I think one of the best takeaways is they they need to have that in place and and really know that there's a lot of solutions out there for them to to, to, to recoup some of their costs right and yeah. so, that, so they're not having to trash racks or parts parts are expensive as well and 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 also uh, you know with the masking part of it so Connor is, is a takeaway from from uh, what we've all talked about just give uh, listeners just a, a you know a few bullet points that they need to do which is again they need to have a really uh, they need to think about the the uh the paint stripping process correct they need to have it in place and have schedules and procedures and policies uh of, of, of how they're going to be doing this
1: yep yeah. and one thing um we talked about as well is just the general bath maintenance um i know we've right. kind of said that term in the past but what it really comes down to is are you removing those paint solids from the system those Paint solids are what's going to really uh, blind up the the product from performing effectively. Those are typically removed either through like a bag filtration where you have um, predetermined uh, micron size for the type of paint that you're stripping. And it removes those from the solution and returns the product back to the tank that is solid free and able to continue to perform. But you can also filter with um, centrifuge filtration as well. Both of those methods are effective in removing the solids from the bath. And then this is more common with our aqueous or the acidic and and caustic components. But when you're operating those products at 150 to 200 degrees, the main loss you're gonna see is just water from evaporation. So when we start up application, we try to kind of get a feel for what is our rate of evaporation, whether it be a few gallons an hour, depending on the size of the tank. And then we wanna make sure that we're routinely adding back fresh water to replace that that's lost from evaporation. So that will maintain the concentration and the relative performance of the bath as well. Right, yeah, do those simple
0: things and there should be no hiccups, I guess. Like I said, you don't have to, you don't have to keep dumping it or anything like that, just maintain it and it will, uh, it'll, it'll give you good service, right? Absolutely. Yes, great. Good advice, appreciate you talking to us about that. And uh, like I said, I wanna thank, this is uh, Connor uh, Calais, Technical Application Specialist at Hubbard Hall. And you'll want to join us again next time on this podcast and this show, Hubbard Hall's Seen and Solved. Seen and Solved is brought to you by Hubbard Hall. Better results, less chemistry. For more podcasts, go to hubbardhall.com or wherever you get your podcasts.